Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the campus pastor here, and um, we've been in the book of, of Genesis for the last couple of weeks. And as the video just showed you, which I think is amazing, the little snake slithering and all the animations and all that's kind of, it's cool, I think. You agree? Yeah? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. I, I didn't do it, but I just, I think it's cool. Um, but we, we've been looking at, at Genesis, the book of origins, that's what it means. Um, and so, you know, the, the greatest danger, one of the greatest dangers, I think I should say, um, for us as, as human beings is something that's called vantage point epistemology. So you're like, what, what did you just say? Vantage point epistemology. Really, all that means is I see the world by the lowercase t truth. So what I have experienced in my life, what I have learned, that tells me what the world is like. And that may sound right to you. Um, but essentially, you're defining truth. You're saying that what I have experienced, what I have learned helps me know what is. And, and I would say this is a very dangerous path. It's a path to anxiety of like, I don't know what is. It's a path to foolishness of making stupid choices and going down wrong paths. It's a path of, of really just dysphoria, which is the opposite of euphoria. It's, it's like this general feeling of unease as you try to see the world which is chaotic and confusing. And so the, the real wisdom is, is in seeing by a capital T truth, and that is very different. So if, if you see by capital T truth, meaning you have a quest to find what is actually true, well, then the truth teaches you what is real. It means that you come under what is actually true and thereby you see the world instead of you defining what is. Do you see the difference? Be careful of vantage point epistemology this morning. So Genesis, the book of origin, it is the book of beginning. By the way, grab your Bible. Uh, if you did not bring one, there's one underneath the seat somewhere around you. It's, uh, it's on page one. So we're, we're starting at the beginning. Uh, but this is a book of reorientation. So we all have these questions. You may never have, have articulated them, and maybe you've never even thought about this. But as we move through the world, we are wondering... Who am I? And where am I going? And where did I come from? Like, wh where, where am I? That's the question. That's why it says, where are you in the video? That's what this sermon series is called. We didn't make the where are you question up. What happened was, in a few pages, literally in your Bible, but also just in history, after the text that we're looking at this morning, Adam and Eve, the first people, rebel against God. They go their own way. They choose to live by lowercase t truth, their own truth. They choose to usurp God's power. And so everything is fractured. They're in a state of anxiety and confusion. They're literally naked and afraid. God is walking in the garden in their midst. Can you imagine that? And he calls out. He says, where are you? He wasn't trying to find out their geographical location. 
It was a penetrating question. It was like, where are you? So my question for you as we look at, at this text, at the Word of God, where are you? Who are you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? This book answers these questions. That is my promise, that the capital T truth, the Word of God, answers these questions because the Word of God is unblemished truth. It is unfiltered truth. And in a world of, of AI and clickbait and panic and anxiety, and I don't even know if the news is the news anymore, it is grounding to come under the Word of God and to sit under it and to ask that question, where, where am I? And to let God tell us. The Bible is not really about you. It's about God. Uh, but this morning, the text is about you. It's about us as God talks about what it looks like to create humanity. So Genesis 1 will be in verses 27 through 31 today. Go ahead and look there with me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God. The word of God says that you are made in the image of God, the imago Dei. That's what it means, the image of God. He did not create sunflowers in his image. He did not create white-tailed deer in his image. He did not create the majestic Rocky Mountains even in his image. But you are made as a person in the image of God. And this bestows a special dignity upon you that you simply have because God says it is so. And some would say, no, we're just another species of animal. We're just another animal. We're, we're, we're the human species. And I'd say, you, if, if that's you, you don't actually believe that. Um, because if you value human life the same you value other species, like a goldfish or a grasshopper, you don't actually live that way. There's no funerals for grasshoppers. My chickens eat grasshoppers all the time. We'd be having a lot of funerals. There's no funerals for grasshoppers. There's no biographies written about grasshoppers. Human life is special and sacred, and we absolutely know that. And so maybe you would say, well, okay, I'm on the other end of the spectrum, and I think that, that we are actually divine. 
that we are lowercase g gods. Maybe we're not like the God, but we're gods. And, and Disney movies tend to tell you this, like find the, the, the God within, the goddess within. And that's dangerously close to the Christian idea that, that says that when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. But that's a very different idea to say the Holy Spirit indwells you than to say that you are in fact God. You're not. And so we are not gods, nor are we animals, but there is a dignity and a value that, that God puts on humanity that is unique and profound. And so the, the belief that human life is, is sacred, this is where it comes from. If we are just another species, there's no reason to value human life. But human life is sacred. And we are God's masterpiece. We are his magnum opus. We are his best work. In Genesis 1, he, he goes through and he makes things and he says, it's good. It's good. And that's an understatement. What God makes as, as good is what we would call like excellent, amazing. But he comes to humanity after he makes us and he says, very good. It's like he signs his masterpiece. The best that I have made. That's who you are. So in addition to being beautifully made by God, we are uniquely made. It says that, that male and female, he created them. He gives us genders, biological sexes. By the way, those are not two different things. But God intentionally creates male and female, and he says that it is good, that they are equal, men and women. You are equal in essence and in value, and we are different. And God is not sorry that he made you a man or a woman. You are wonderfully made. You are intentionally made by the creator of the universe, and he does not make mistakes. Psalm 139 tells us this process, this really the poetry of the process. It says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Our response is this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Very good are your works, God. My soul knows it very well. You are wonderfully made, friends. And notice that this dignity that God bestows upon us, this creative value, it starts in the womb. It's not when we become viable, but that you're wonderfully made in your mother's womb. And so, yes, we are pro-life as Christ followers. But we are also pro-all of life. From womb to tomb, we are pro-people that you don't like. We are pro-whoever is in that category for you. We are pro-people that have had abortions, if that's you. All human life has dignity. Who doesn't have dignity to you? Maybe you can see like, like a, a, a random person from your same town, like, oh, they have dignity. Does an illegal immigrant have dignity to you? Does your frustrating neighbor have dignity to you? Does your impossible boss have dignity to you? Does your drunk uncle have dignity to you? All people, because God says so, have dignity. 
And so saying we are pro-life as Christ followers is not a political statement. It is a biblical statement, and it is not just only meant, but it is meant for the womb. Are you holistically pro-life? We are made to be mirrors of God, reflecting who he is, living beings walking around reflecting who God is to the world. He gives us some of who he is. His communicable attributes is what they're called. He makes us like him in certain ways. And so just uh, uh, four of these, there's more of them, but four of these. God is relational and so are we. The reason that you feel inclined to have relationships with other people, God is relational. God forever exists is in, in, in the Trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect loving community. He did not need to create because he was lonely. He was perfectly fulfilled, but he creates out of loving community. And this is why we are designed for relationship with God and with one another. God is relational and so are we. God is intelligent and at least to a degree, so are we. God has a bright mind. He speaks things into existence. He sees things that aren't there yet and makes them. He has creativity he has brilliance, and he gives that to people to a degree. And so I've heard over the last several years, people who disagreed with someone politically, and they're, they're like, they're such idiots. What I would say is they're anything but idiots, whoever they are, because people are smart. You are intelligent because God gives you that ability to think into reason. And so if you think like the Christian faith is like, no, we, we check our minds at the door and then we walk in and do this silly thing of believing things that are true, you're missing it. God gave us minds to reason. God is intelligent and to a degree, so are we. God is moral and so are we. I don't mean that you act morally. You don't and neither do I. But God has a moral mind God has a heart for what is good and what is right. God is a God of justice. This is where you get that from. We have a moral mind. And finally, there's more of these, but these are just the ones that really I, I, I thought of. But, but God exercises authority and so do we. God rules ultimately, but we rule in divine delegation. And so we don't just rule like interspecies like other animals do, but we rule the earth. We have dominion. And so let's talk a little bit more about that. Verse 28. This is called the cultural mandate. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God blesses the first humans and then he tells them to go be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Essentially, go cultivate and care for what I have made. This is divine delegation. And so notice, notice the timing of this. If you don't know your Bible, that's okay. Just after this is when mankind rebels against God and there's the curse. So work and, and raising children, which is hard amen, is not itself a curse. 
God gives the cultural mandate to work and to be fruitful before sin enters the picture. This is God's good design. And so notice that. And so when sin enters the world, work and and child rearing and all of this dominion stuff is affected. And work, raising kids, having dominion, it sometimes feels like it's uphill and into the wind. Have you ever been passed over for a promotion? Have a deal fall through? Have a project fail? Have a period of unemployment where you, you just really struggling to find work? This is why. Not that work is cursed, but work is under the curse. But it is a blessing. And so if you work for Friday or you work for the next vacation, you're missing it. Work is not a a punishment. Raising kids is not a punishment. Whatever you expend effort doing is not a punishment, but a gift. You are a sub-creator under the creator, and you get to steward what he has made. And so we should not kick rocks and act like it's drudgery to work. If you're a janitor, you can glorify God by bringing order and cleanliness where there was only filth. Praise God for that. If you're in business, you can can honor God and glorify God by the way you treat people. I spent 13 years in the business world. People don't treat people very kind in the business world. You can be delightfully weird and glorify God in the business world by treating other people as image bearers of God. If you're a full-time mom, you can glorify God by cultivating your household like a garden. You can glorify God in whatever you do. And for those of you that are either retired or about to be retired or want to be retired, people say gender is a construct. I'd say, well, it's God's construct. So it's not a construct. Retirement is a construct. We made it up. And so the idea that you would get to a certain point and then peace out all together and play golf and just check out is something we made up. So invest in your community, invest in your church family, invest in your actual family. You're never done. We get old when we we start to think we're done. You're never done. You're never done exercising dominion. You're never done being fruitful and multiplying and cultivating. So God calls us to exercise dominion. What that looks like, it looks like caring for what he has made and enjoying it. And so we should, therefore, care for what God has made in the earth. You're like, Brad, you're an environmentalist. I don't know, you should be an environmentalist. But what would an environmentalist and a hunter, I also hunt, so I don't know what you do with me, an environmentalist and a hunter, who's right? Yes. Dominion looks like caring for the creation. Yes, we do care about trees and stuff. God made that. It's beautiful. We should steward the earth. And yes, we should harvest the earth and enjoy what God has made, those good gifts. It's not either or. It's both and. We are too as sub-creators, as those who have received divine delegation, care for what God has made, to be fruitful to multiply. So this is what God has called us to. But there's a massive problem. 
It's that in our nature, in our flesh, we are corrupted by sin. We are bent inward. So I'm not about cultivating God's creation. I'm about cultivating my kingdom. And so we're not faithful image bearers. We're not faithful stewards. C.S. Lewis once said this just about the, the people that you sit next to right now in this room. He said, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind and is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, and no presumption. You sit next to immortals. You work with immortals. You are raising immortals and have been raised by immortals. The people around you are everlasting horrors or everlasting splendors. Do you see people that way? Do you value people that way? I'll just be honest, I don't. I very much relate to the Jesus who retreated off into the mountains to pray, although I think his motivation is very different than mine. I would call it introversion, like I just want to be outside and be kind of away from people. But I believe it's sin. I believe that devaluing people is sin. I believe that being annoyed by people is sin. And so Jesus did not retreat to get away from people. He went to pray and commune with his father because Jesus was swarmed by people. If you read the gospels, he had to get on a boat just so he could stand and teach people, but he was never inconvenienced by people, by image bearers. So he would get down on their level and he would look them in the face and he would be present with them not looking through them to his next appointment. They were his next appointment. And so whether he was healing a blind man or rebuking a Pharisee and saying, hey man, this religion thing that you've got is not the way to God, I'm the way to God and here I am. Jesus was always present because he sees the value in people. Because he sees that you are valuable. that you are valuable enough to be crucified for. That's why he came. If you think Jesus came for the good people, the religious performers, you haven't read your Bible. He came for the infinitely valuable sinners with dark hearts like you and like me. But we have a continuum of value that we place on people, don't we? 
We value some and, and, and others maybe not quite so much. And what do you think fame is about? So the AC, the fact that it's working in this room is, is the gift of God and through the hard work of a guy named Owen, who you probably don't know or ever will know. Owen's awesome. And Owen came here early this morning and he fixed our, fixed our AC. If he was standing here and Taylor Swift was standing here, who would you want to talk to more after this gathering was over? Be honest. Whose gaze would make you feel more, more alive and more excited? Equally valuable. You are valuable not because of what you've earned, but because you have inherent value. Because God says so. Thus saith the Lord, you are valuable, you are an image bearer of God, and you matter. But we have a value problem. We do. We take God's good gifts, his communicable attributes, and we use them against him. It's like as if when, when Michelangelo created David, y'all know the statue David, it's, it's incredible. It's as if if Michelangelo just stepped back and looked at, at David and was like, man, that is legit. And then David came to life and like shanked him and ran off. That's what we do. Created by God for the glory of God and we take it and we twist it and we turn it onto ourselves. And so we take our relational nature and we manipulate. And if you think you're not manipulative, you're probably manipulating yourself. But we all vie for position. And we use our intelligence and we use our, our ability to rule and to lead, to concentrate power in our own spheres so that we can get what we want. We're corrupted in our nature. We are mirrors for God. We are, but we are smudged mirrors. So we don't reflect God to the world, but sometimes we defame him. And I'll tell you what, church folk, Christ followers in here, when you and I do it, it's the ugliest kind. I think it was Gandhi that said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. When you and I, who represent the most beautiful, perfect man who has ever existed, instead operate with self-righteousness and pride and envy and bitterness and fear, it is the ugliest of all. It is very, very ugly. And I would like to tell you this morning, clean yourself up. Get some Windex. But you can't. You can't just clean yourself up. You can't begin to reflect God because you cannot reflect God inauthentically. You can't force yourself into being a bright, clear mirror. It's not in you, because even if you did, you wouldn't want to. You need to be recreated. You need to be made new. 
And if you just want to hear the gospel this morning, here's the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It'll be on the screen. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are a Christ follower, you're not different than you used to be. You're a completely different person. In Ezekiel, it talks about that God would give us a new heart. We would now have a heart beating for God, altogether different, not immediately sanctified. So I'm not saying when you, when you put your faith in Christ that you are immediately like him. It is progressive. It is over time, but it is happening. And so the promise for you, for me, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you believe that, that Jesus left heaven, put on flesh, it's called the incarnation, and he walked the earth in complete perfection, and that he went to the cross to be tortured and humiliated and bear the wrath of for you, and that he did not stay dead, but he did exactly what he said he would do, and he rose from the grave, and in him you can have new life. If you believe this, you are a new creation. You are a different person. You are not a changed person. You are a new person through and through. And therefore, you will have new inclinations. Therefore, you will have new desires and new affections and the Spirit of God will begin to, to teach you and point you to see other people as image bearers, as valuable. And maybe you need to start with you of seeing yourself as valuable, valuable enough for God to die for. But from that love of God, which we receive and then we direct back to God in this beautiful relationship, it then spills out into others, into our environments, into everything around us. And in that, when we come under the capital T truth of who Christ is, we experience the miracle of compassion. Compassion is supernatural. It's not something you cook up. Because you know, just like I know, that I want what's best for me. And when I want what's best for you, something has changed. And not only that, coming under this capital T truth, it brings you to a point of true humility. Of seeing who you truly are. Seeing yourself with fresh eyes. And it starts with that love from God. And so... Colossians 1 will be on the screen. We're, we're going to end here. I want you to see Christ here. It says, He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So while you and I are smudged mirrors, Jesus is himself God, and he perfectly displays who God is to the world. Do you want to know what God is like? We'll look to Christ. He's the unflawed, unvarnished image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Image bearers, do you see that? 
Jesus knows you. He was there in creation. He knows your inward parts in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. By the way, King Jesus is still on his throne. If you think the world is spinning out of control, you need to look to him. All things were created through him and for him, for his glory. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. By the way, I'm not the head of the body. The other pastors are not head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. This is his bride, his people. He is the beginning, the origin, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might be held high. For in him the fullness of God, there it is again, was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus shows us who God is in human form perfectly. And he came to reconcile, to buy back, to redeem those of us who are corrupt image bearers and to draw us to himself to give us new hearts, to give us new inclinations. And so as you look at Jesus, which is what you're doing right now, you come under the truth of who he is, you will be made new and you will be transformed both in an instant and progressively over time. And therefore, you will begin to see yourself as an image bearer of God. You will begin to see the people around you as image bearers of God. And you will begin to see dominion not as domination, but as divine delegation. And by God's grace, you'll enjoy it. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be in a room full of your image bearers, full of people who are created in your image specifically and intentionally by your divine brilliance. God, forgive me when I don't see them as such. And I believe that, that I'm not alone in that. And so forgive us, Lord, your rebellious creations who are inclined to take the good gifts that you give us and use them for ourselves and thereby defame your name. Lord, for those in this room who do not know you, you are unredeemed image bearers. Jesus, draw them to yourself. Even as I pray now, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of their hearts to see Christ, to surrender to his kingship, to see the cost 
of the cross, which demonstrates your great love, Jesus. Buy them back, Lord. And for those of us who are Christ followers, who, who, who are following after you, Jesus, and we show you as something other than beautiful and glorious and compassionate and right, and we defame the holy name. Lord, forgive us. Bring us to a point of conviction and repentance now as we come knowing that you forgive, that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. May we be a room full of forgiven people, clean in Christ. And God, you've given us a voice. You've given us a heart to rejoice with and a mouth to sing with. And you are worthy of our praise. So now help us to sing. Remove our self-consciousness. Remove even our self-awareness and help us to behold you for all you are, Jesus. We love you. And we thank you that we are loved by you. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.